It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 543, that's 543, of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Join me on the show today is Katie Bullard. Katie is the Chief Growth Officer at Discover Org, and we're going to talk about how sales and marketing intelligence is democratizing growth and driving disruption, and how companies can use the data and sales intelligence to personalize their messages and make sure the sales teams are contacting people with intent. So if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, in case you hear something in the interview and you missed it, want to go back and check, go to andypaul.com forward slash 543. You'll find there a timestamp breakdown of this conversation and actually all the conversations that we've held on Accelerate. So make sure you check it out there. And friends, I mean, we all hit sales slump from time to time. And if, if you're looking for new ideas about how to amp up and accelerate your sales then you need to read the new report that I put together just for you. It's, it's based on the specific recommendations of more than 300 experts that I've personally interviewed on this program. And I've compiled their practical tactics and strategies into a step-by-step guide that you can use to accelerate your sales today. So don't wait. Go to accelerate.fm forward slash accelerate to get your free copy of this report today. All right, let's jump into it with Katie. Katie Bullard, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for joining me. So I, I usually start the interviews with a standard question I ask my guests. And this one is, in your mind, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? You know, I think one of the, the biggest challenges facing sales reps, and I, you know, I never know if it's single. What I would say is <laughs> depending on the company or depending on the product sure. or the market, there's probably something that's the singular biggest uh, different at, at each company. But I think one of the consistently um, consistently singular difficulties that sales reps face is figuring out how to prioritize. You know, we sort of live in this era of an overabundance mm-hmm. uh, of information and signals and, and noise. And as a sales rep, I have to understand how, how do I sift through that and prioritize both you know, who I'm going to talk to, how I'm going to talk to them, how I'm going to structure my day, and no matter what company I've been in or what market I've been in, that's, that consistently is a challenge. Okay. How to sift through the noise to find the signal. I mean, I come from a communications background, satellite communications background. Yeah. We, always talk, we always talk with the signal-to-noise ratio, which yeah. are the key measurements of your, your strength of your, your link. And uh, yeah, I think that that's, seems to be true. I mean, we hear this more and more with people that, that uh, Jill Conrath talks about, you know, the big challenge she sees as reps is this idea of being of overwhelm, not being overwhelmed, Correct. but overwhelm itself as a condition. And it seems like you're really talking about that is is just so much is how do you how do you prioritize? Yeah. How do you how do you discern what's important? Uh, and you know, I, I don't know that that's unique to sales reps. I think sales reps have a very um a very sort of you know, specific need for that. Um, just given the nature of the job, but you know, I, I think whether we talk to to a marketing team or a product team, right? That we're all sort of struggling with this this need to, to to sift through the noise and and figure out where to prioritize. It's it it tends to be more of a an imminent need for the sales rep, right? Because they've got the number in front of them each month, mm-hmm. which never goes away. Never. <laughs> well, I guess one question to sort of follow on to that then is, is of this noise, though, 
I mean, how much of it's just really sort of not really work related, just sort of extraneous, right? Because we're we're just living in a noisier environment in general. Yeah, no, we are. I think, you know, I I think the it's both not work related, and yet at the same time, there's so much noise that can that might not be specifically work related, but that can actually make us better sales and marketers too. So there's sort of this double-edged sword. So like one example is, you know, if I'm trying to connect with a buyer, I really want to understand who they are, what they're interested in, both in the office and outside of the office. So then I start thinking to myself, okay, I, I need to go gather additional insights or information about know what uh what school they went to and what their hobbies are and 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 actually having some of that can make me a better sales or marketer but at the same time it can also completely immobilize me yeah i mean i I, that's a really interesting point because i I think back to sort of pre-internet days and you still had the requirement to sort of find out that information right if you really want to do a great job i mean i sold very large complex deals i mean absolutely had to know this information that it maybe took a different level of effort some degree to get it but it was it was still very important but you know part of what i keep thinking back to is yeah we've got all this noise out there but at the same time we have all these tools which are great access to information you know discover org being among those tools but have we used the tools in such a way to to help elevate you know the performance and productivity of of individuals or are we just or are we just making it more difficult? Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I would say one of the most common requests that we get from our customers is your you know, your data is great. Now help me figure out how to use it to be a more effective prospector. Mm-hmm. Because because I've I've got your data, you know, I might have another data source over here and um and, and, and as a sales rep, I might think that the data is the end of the story when in actuality, it's only the beginning. Um, and so, so yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Now it's, it's now taking the data and figuring out what the art of the sales process is in leveraging all of this information to, uh, to, to, to make that connection, that personal connection. Yeah. And, and there certainly is a, a segment of people in sales these days who, there's different ways people are using the term the science of selling, but who believe that you know, it's that a personal, the importance of that personal connection is actually being diminished, right? That it's, you know, if we can really parse the data appropriately and and blend in a little of these signals and so on, that that's really the process itself is is paramount over over that connection. And yet there's others, you know, say, hey, we've got this art of selling that hasn't gone away either. That's equally as important to the science of selling. Yeah, you know, I was on a panel at a conference a few months ago, and we got into this discussion. And I think where where most of us landed um, is that, well, well, one, they're equally important, right? S- sales is both an art mm. and a science. But, right. but what, what technology has allowed us to do is it's allowed us to, to, to spend less time on the science of it, right? Because the tools and the technology that we have feed us all of this information. They they allow us to um, you know schedule our cadences and um, look at data very quickly to see what's working and what's not working. Where you know before it might have taken us five, six, ten times the length of time that it takes us now to really understand the science of sales. That that happens very quickly. 
And so because of that, in a perfect world, what then it would then allow the sales person to do is spend that that additional saved time on improving the art of the sale because now I don't have to spend so much time mm-hmm. on the automation. So a question I have, and this is I wouldn't expect you to have the answer to this, but I'd it'd be interesting if somewhere somebody's listening to this, they could chip in and and uh, tell me if they've seen this answer is, you know, if we were to normalize, try somehow try to normalize sales rep, individual sales rep productivity, let's say over the past 20 years. So we're sort of encompassing the start of the internet age up to, you know, full-blown internet age where we are today. And so normalized to the extent we could for, you know, dollar values and inflation, da, 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 da. But has the productive capacity of, a rep changed at all during this time frame. Interesting. And if it hasn't, then what what impact is the technology having? You know that we're bringing to bear all these really cool things that I look back and think, God, I would have killed to have something like this. <laughs> but are they really making a difference? And it's and I'm not saying this from perspective of a luddite because I love the technology. <laughs> I use the technology, but I also look at it and say, okay, yeah, I don't I don't see the evidence yet that, you know, it's helped us do anything but stay in place? You know, I don't have any sort of empirical evidence to this one way or the other, but but my gut says, and working, you know, with, with our sales teams here and, and with our sales teams who are customers, says that, um, you know, we're, we're more productive or we're more efficient when it comes to knowing who to engage with. Um, I think before. So mm-hmm. I, I, I was in, I was in the sales intelligence industry back when I first started my technology career uh, almost 10 years ago. And, um, you know, it was good information, but, but as a sales rep or as a marketer, I, I was sort of spraying and playing. Like I was just, you know, just praying that, that of all the calls sure. I made or of all the emails that I send out that the right person would respond. Right. And so I, I think that, the biggest change that I've seen is that we've become much smarter about knowing how to prioritize and to rank the customers and the prospects that we should be engaging with because of all of the data that we have. Now, has it actually changed the behavior when we engage with them? I would say for some teams it has and for other teams it it hasn't. Um, But I think there's that level of additional insight that we just didn't have 10, 15 years ago. Oh, which I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. The question is, though, is as a consequence, though, could we look at if we could, let's say, if we could normalize all the, the data points, you know, again, given yeah. <laughs> emergence of technologies and <laughs> so on and so forth. But it's saying, look, you know, a rep selling a product of average, this, let's say, average contract value or so on, you know, are they. On average, are they, you know, selling ten percent more, twenty percent more, the same, less than they were twenty that years ago? That would be a really interesting study to do. Yeah, because I think it's 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 yeah. one thing that seems to be missing, right? Because we have yeah. all this froth around around these technologies yeah. we're embracing, but I haven't. That said, I haven't seen this data that says at the end of the day, yeah, we're selling as much with ten people as we sold with thirty people before. So they're, you know, we're. You know, X percent more productive, or that the individual, and I, I, I think it's the missing, the missing piece that's out there that uh, would really be interesting to know. It, that is, you know, it's, 
we haven't done that study. We did do this really interesting series with um, with a few of our customers who sort of have gone from um, a startup to kind of a category killer in, in a really short amount of time. Right. And one of the things that we, we did see in doing this is that um, where previously, you know, enterprises who had been around for a long time, you know, just think, you know, Oracle's, SAP's, IBM's, um, used to be able to sort of hold on to their to their market leadership a lot longer because of sort of their entrenched relationships in the industry that that it has become easier for companies as a whole to mm-hmm. to sort of displace and disrupt industries, complete industries. Um, you know, kind of go from not showing up at all in the leader quadrant to being in a leader leader's quadrant in a really short amount of time. That's that's not specific to an individual sales rep, but I do think it speaks to um, to the the availability of this this data and these insights out there being able to help companies grow a lot faster than they could previously. Yeah, and that that is right, and that that's an interesting question in and of itself too, though, because. When I look at that and say, okay, and not to get too far off the, the beaten path here, but hey, it's my show. I can do what I want to, is, <laughs> is that, that, you know, do take all that for granted. Yes. Is, but we have the same question is, is a higher, are a higher fraction, I can't remember whichever one works, is a higher fraction of companies, startups succeeding now? Right, a venture fund starts, you know, and let's say in a, a investor's portfolio, is a, do a higher fraction succeed now than they did, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago? And I suspect that the ratio of those that succeed and that scale quickly, you know, and disrupt probably hasn't changed. Yeah, my guess is at a macro level, you're, you're right. The actual overall percentage um, probably hasn't changed, I think. So what you probably find is that the behaviors of those who are successful are different. Yeah, I think I think yeah, to your point, I think the data and technology has enabled their path to success to be different. But yeah, I always sort of worry when that's if it's not any more replicable than it was before, right? Meaning that, you know, hey, twenty years ago you could watch what a startup did that scaled quickly and say, Well, yeah, we're gonna try to do what they do and emulate what they did. But we still have all these other variables at play. And I, I think that's the same thing is true with individual sellers, right? There's so many variables at work as is in what constitutes success and what drives success that that you know we're doing a good job of capturing some, but we really haven't captured the whole picture yet. Well, and I, and I do believe at the end of the day, you know, the things that make a really successful salesperson fundamentally, right, aren't aren't all that different. The, to your point though, the tools, the data. Um, the technology that's available is different, but kind of going back to that, you know, the first sort of selling tip earlier, right? Yeah. The, the salespeople who are going to be most efficient are those who listen. Now they now have more avenues to listen, right? Um, they're going to be the ones who really understand and connect emotionally to the person on the other end of the phone. And again, there's all, there are now other channels and other places to connect with those people, but those fundamentals are still the same fundamentals. Well, I agree. I agree. I've I've recently came up with a new acronym, at least new for me, to sort of summarize. I think, well, I think it's sort of the four categories of behaviors that really drive success, and I think they're eternal to some degree in, in sales. Which is my acronym is BALD, like B A L D, which is B is be present. 
mm-hmm. you know, being focused, be there for the buyer to ask great questions. Mm-hmm. L is listen without judgment and D is deliver value on every touch. I love it. And I think if people can do that, master these, and there's some subcategories within those, but in general, if you master those four categories, yeah, you're never going to go wrong. 100%. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. Oh, good. And bald is such such a visual, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I called it the bald truth about sales. Yeah. And, yeah. but it's, yeah, it just, yeah, I kept thinking, God, how do we simplify this, simplify it, simplify it, because it seems like so much we do in sales. Yeah, it's increasingly complex. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just, uh, our processes and the technologies, but you know the methods we teach that go along with it sort of all have this increasing level of complexity. And it's, to me, it's like, how do we keep it really simple? Right. And how do we make sure we keep keep focus on those fundamentals while like leveraging the the new advancements that we have? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So we're going to talk about that. So Discover Org, you, you published an ebook called "Sales and Marketing Intelligence is Democratizing Growth and Driving Disruption," and the first thing that caught my eye is, okay, democratizing growth. So what, what do we mean by democratizing growth? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to the, the story I told earlier, which is, um, you know, 30 years ago, uh, the, the, the companies that were most successful were those who had these deep Rolodexes, right? They had built strong relationships in these industries. That's how, that's how um, people, people sold. And, and, what has happened over the last 10 to 15 years is as data has proliferated, as technology has proliferated, um, it's, it's given startups. Now, to, to your point, they don't all succeed, but it's at least given startups the, the availability and the accessibility to the kind of data that they never had previously. And so when companies figure out how to use all of these insights and all of this intelligence that's out there really effectively, they're able to disrupt industries faster than they were able to do previously. And so that's sort of what we mean when we talk about democratizing growth. It's, it's kind of leveled the playing field for a startup. Do they still have to execute? Do they still have to have a great product? Do they still have to have great salespeople who you know, can be present and, and listen and ask great questions? 100%. But now they've got the data, the information, the insights at, at hand that they just didn't have previously. Yeah, and I think, gosh, yeah, for the world, for, for anybody in a, a newer enterprise, or even if you have a little more mature, small business, you're trying to scale it, yeah, these tools are, <laughs> again, I would have killed for. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think about years I spent, I don't know, about seven years really focused on selling these sort of large multi-million dollar communication systems to overseas customers, international customers. And yeah, at that time trying to find out who the decision makers were in Deutsche Telekom <laughs> from yeah. 6,000 miles away was not an easy task. Oh, um, yeah. And we got it done. We got it done, but you know, it was markedly different than, as you said, having access to this information that gives us sort of a head start. Right. You have access to the information and then that way you can spend all that time that you used to have to spend trying to find all the key decision makers doing other things, right? Perfecting your sales techniques. Yeah. Well, or just, yeah, perfecting a, an interesting opening to their or entree to the customer to try to yeah. you know, make them interested. What's the value prop? Um, yeah. So much more with that than, than yeah. Yeah, I said I'm so envious of of, of people uh, today. Trust me, the first time I saw Discover or before I joined the company, 
I um, I was sort of in that boat. I was in a company where we were selling these huge enterprise deals. I was trying to get into the Deutsche Banks of the world as well. And we would hire these interns to go do all this research for us. And then as soon as they would finish the research, which was good, it was out of date. And, yep. and so I, I remember seeing the platform the first time and I was like, oh my God, how have I not had this my entire life? So um, the good thing is people people now have access to this this kind of information. Yeah, and I think as, to your point, it's for companies that that put together the right value proposition, really understand the needs of the customers, is there's much less reluctance on the part of you know enterprises these days to invest in even mission critical applications from smaller companies. Right. So yeah, the doors open in a way that's never been before. It's interesting in the in the ebook you talk about that like three quarters of sort of the early failures of tech startups that were trying to penetrate internet talked about being due to premature scaling um i thought that was an interesting phrase so what did they actually mean by that? that was a study by berkeley and, and stanford researchers uh you know basically investing and growing before you understood the needs of the customer i guess right that's exactly right basically they uh <laughs> You know, there are times I've seen I've seen too many times where companies go to market. They have a great sort of technology idea and they go to market and they don't understand who their buyer is and they don't understand how that product solves a challenge of the buyer. But it's a really cool product. But is it something that, you know, let's say it's, it's something that somebody sells to sales and marketers. Is it something that as a sales or marketer, I put enough value on that I'm willing to pay for it? And so that's, you know, I think we've all probably been in that place where we've, we've, we've had somebody who had this great startup idea and, and you ask them, well, what, what challenge are you solving? Or, you know, what, what, um, what value does your buyer put on this? And they can't clearly articulate that. And, and I think too many times companies take that approach. Yeah. And you, you see it all the time, all the time. And <laughs> Part of that, though, I think is a, it's certainly in tech startups. It's sort of the pressures from investors. And I've seen that with some companies that I've advised that, that you know, they're being pushed in a way that the, the CEOs feel conflicted about, okay, what am I supposed to say? And you know, I'm being pressured from the investors that we need to get this thing going, but we haven't really figured out what the it is yet, right? Or we have to pivot, which oftentimes happens in startups. You know, the first, the first approach wasn't the right approach. CEOs, to your point, I mean, they really need to figure this out earlier in the game. Yeah, it's interest. It's interesting. So I, um, I also lead our product management function here at at Discover Org, and um, it, what's interesting to me is that product man- management, which fundamentally is the the team responsible for sort of saying what is the market problem and how do you build a product that solves that problem, that is oftentimes one of the last functions to get built out in a company, <laughs> yep. in a technology company, oh, and yet. Yeah. It's actually the it's sort of where it, the, the the life cycle starts is saying, you know, I have enough product, inputs, product market fit. Right. I have enough inputs to say this is the problem, the solution fits this problem. I understand how to how to how to build the product, but I also understand how to talk to the to the buyer and then uh, and get that right before you go to market, before you get all your salespeople out on the phone, before you get, you know, marketing sending out a bunch of emails because you only have that first chance to make a, a, a you know, a great first impression, yeah. and uh, and you don't want to blow it. Yeah, that's what my mom always said. You only get one chance to make a good first impression. Yeah. It drilled into me. I still, <laughs> still remember it. So, 
I thought an interesting thing in the book, again, in the ebook was the statement that, uh, so quote, despite the wide availability of data and intelligence, many companies still cite lack of high quality account and contact data information intelligence as a top inhibitor to growth. Yes. And I'm like, okay, what cave are these companies living in? Yeah. Because, because there's no shortage. I mean, let's set aside quality for a second. There's certainly no shortage of companies that, you know, make available data and, and sales intelligence, marketing intelligence, and so on to enterprises. Yes. So I think I, but I think that distinction is the important distinction. Um, that it's so that stat actually came from a survey we had done as part of a different ebook where we where we looked at what was the difference between high growth companies and low growth companies, and it was really interesting that for even for companies who are growing fast, so even companies who fell into this high growth bucket, they said that the biggest limiter to growing even faster was having better quality data. And I think what it speaks to is one, the proliferation of bad data. Um, mm. I mean, that's, that's fundamentally why, you know, Henry Schock, who's our founder, created Discover.org because he, right. he saw people investing in bad data. Um, so, so one, there's a proliferation of bad data. Two, even if people invest in good data, good data is is as good as it is at any given point in time. And a lot of companies a lot of sales and marketing organizations haven't quite embraced the need to make, you know, the, the, the health of their data, a core part of their sales and marketing strategy, right? No sales guy ever wants to talk about data ever. <laughs> he wants it to be good. He wants it to be there, but it's, it's rare. It's very rare to have an organization that actually fundamentally puts data quality as sort of a core part of their overall sales strategy. And so I think it speaks to both of those things that people, people recognize that, uh, that there's, there's value when there's good data, but, but are they willing to prioritize it? Yeah. I mean, to me, the first impression when I read that statement was, well, you know, this is just sales making an excuse again, right? <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, Hey, yeah, you can, you can go out and address those issues. And yeah, there's, we said, vendors of varying degrees of quality in the data but but certainly with sales ops data hygiene i mean these things are all things that are are fairly well understood right as people scale organizations i think people understand them but you know i think in 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 most organizations i've been in the majority of the conversations you have about you know, how do I hit my number this quarter? Or how do we build a pipeline? Or how do we, you know, kind of improve our results? They're very, there are very few times when it comes back to data. And I think people fundamentally get it. But, but it's the ones who have, um, who have invested in it and really sort of made it a focus who have seen the results they're the, you know, they're the advocates of this process, but, but most companies would rather spend time thinking about, um, how do I make my presentation better? Right. Mm. Or, <laughs> or how do I, um, you know, how, how do I make my, my collateral look yeah, better? What's, what's... Or how do I speak? Right. So, so, so I think it's just, it's, it's has historically, it's been easier for sales teams to sort of focus there. And I think what, what we have seen, and we've seen this certainly with, with our growth and with our customers is that um, over time, people are starting to understand how fundamental good quality data is to succeeding as a sales organization. Yeah. I think that part of what 
has to happen is is to me this this whole idea of of data the intelligence you know this has to be embraced i don't know whether it's part of onboarding as part of the sales education we do of the sales team but i think that if we were to i'm willing to bet that if we look at our top performers is they are the most adept at yeah. using the data that exists and that's available mm-hmm. and you know when we go to sort of the middle uh, 70%, so let's say at the top 10%, we go to the sort of middle 70%, you know, they're so-so, right? And you get to the bottom 20 and, you know, nah, that just doesn't work, right? right. So they're the ones saying we don't have any good leads. So it's it's how do we how do we educate, and I think this is a challenge for sales leaders and for the reps themselves, is to educate themselves on on the availability of this data and the intelligence and what it what it actually means for them, what they can do with it. You know, if we talk about modeling behaviors of of A players, you know, rather than saying, hey, let's let's mimic what they say on this phone call, let's start with, yeah, how do they use the data to penetrate an account, establish connections, and so on. It's interesting that you say that, you know, at the end of the day, sales reps are motivated by the bottom line. And one of the things that we've done with our own team here is looked at what the what the behaviors are of our top performing sales reps and use those as stories. And then what we did was we replicated that model with our customers. And what we discovered, um, which we're fortunate enough to have discovered this, um, but we didn't know going in, was that the vast majority of the top performers within our customers, sales organizations, were those that were using the data. They were logging in regularly. They were using that data to personalize their messages, mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to, to listen, to ask questions. Um, and when, when the, the lesser performing sales reps basically see the opportunity cost of not using the data, then it, it becomes much more meaningful to them. Yeah, and I think the question there and the challenge is always, okay, how do we get them to do it consistently, right? Right. So how did that become an ingrained behavior? <laughs> Say that again? I said I haven't solved that yet. Yeah. Well, I think that but that's true for so much, right? I think that you know, with all the the influx of of technology into the sales space over the last handful of years, is that we still have this issue is that yeah, the the people who get it get it and use it extremely well. And but the vast majority of our sales teams still haven't yet, right? I mean, they may be embracing and using it. You could look at an SDR team and say, yeah, they're all pretty good. They've, in terms of you know how they're using our, our sales development platform, how they're using the available data. Yeah, okay. But, you know, let's look at the, we still have the same distribution performance we've always had, right? You know, sort of the 80 20. How, how, do, we, how do we use these technologies and these, this data and intelligence to really, again, move that needle in a way that, that's meaningful? You know, I think, I mean, you, you always have top performers and bottom performers, but, but I do think, I do think you can show sort of consistent upward trajectory across a team. I mean, that, that is one thing we've been able to see is, Mm -hmm. is sort of, you know, a a before and after, before they have the data and after they have the data, even the bottom performers are setting more meetings. So, so they still might not be the star. Maybe that's because they haven't figured out sort of this art, right? Some of the, some of those uh, things on the art side, but but overall, being able to say, you know what, we used to average one meeting for every 100 calls, and now we're averaging five meetings for every 100 calls, that's, that is a significant improvement to the overall pipeline and bottom line. Yeah, 
No, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. And especially if you can get, again, your, your sort of middle, the big, vast middle of performers. Yeah, to, to move, see changes in the, the actual performance, you said from 1 to 100 to 5 out of 100. And you can see that all the way through to closing. That's fantastic. Well, Katie, it's been great talking to you. Um, tell people I can find out more about Discover Org and connect with you. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks again, Andy, for having me. Um, we can pleasure. learn more about Discover Org at www.discoverorg.com. Um, it's not discover.org, so <laughs> we'll get that confused. I've done that more um, than once. <laughs> but it's uh, discoverorg.com. And you can uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, katie.e.bullard. Um, and would love to connect and, and talk more about you know how data is really changing the whole sales and marketing process. Excellent. Well, good. Well, Katie, again, thanks for being on the show. And uh, friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Remember, come back again tomorrow. Uh, join me here on another great episode of Accelerate. Until then, if you get a chance, really appreciate it if you go to iTunes or wherever you listen to the show and subscribe if you haven't done so already or leave a review. We really appreciate the feedback. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 